0: Hey, draw, draw men, men unto thee. Me. Hey, yes,
1: hey, hey,
0: hey. My Lord,
1: yes, sir. I'll draw men unto me. I know that hurt somebody. I know there's one deacon shouting in the hospital room around here that, that needed to hear that, that normally stands in here and leads us singing that. I'm so thankful today that we're able to celebrate with him. God bless you. I know you're all over the city just in a worshipful mood. We're not going to stop here. We're going to move on into the word of God. We're going to make sure you understand that preaching is necessary for the deliverance of people. Not only does preaching come for deliverance, it also comes for comfort, bring us strength. Preaching allows us to understand what God intends for us to do. and We're in a special season in our Christian world right now. We, we're in the season of Jesus' passion. Those of us who know about him know that it's the most holy season. It's the season that brings us our deliverance from the evil of sin. And Christ Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to be able to regain a right relationship with his father. And we've been walking on the journey towards his passion. We started out a couple of weeks ago in this medium, in this cyber sanctuary, talking to you about someone who expressed abundant love for him. And then we moved last week to a person who was all the way at the other end of the spectrum, not expressing abundant love, as Mary had done, but giving the ultimate betrayal, as Judas Iscariot, Simon's son from Cariath, betrayed him. And still goes down today, both of them. Mary goes down as one who gave him the ultimate memorial. Judas goes down as one who gave the ultimate betrayal. Today, we're gonna go to a different place and talk about another part of Jesus Christ's journey to our redemption. Let me tell you this. Someone got on television in a powerful position the other day and said this is the first time we won't celebrate Easter. He didn't know what he was talking about. You can't stop us celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't stop us celebrating the victory won on the cross that day. He needs to get a little bit more education. I don't care what his office is. He's just wrong. Because as long as there's God people who understand the price he paid, Jesus paid it all. And there's nothing that can go on down here that can nullify what Jesus Christ did. So today, I want to transport you, if you will, back to that week when Jesus was walking toward the, Christ, the cross. In fact, I want to take you to the Friday of that week. That Friday is momentous because it's the actual day that Jesus Christ was placed on, on the cross. I might add, it was a cross he didn't deserve. But even in his crucifixion. There are so many lessons that can be learned and shared, uh, that can teach folk. Who would have thought that there on the cross, a laboratory for learning would have been created in this? Who would have thought that right there on the cross, someone who never met Jesus Christ before would have the opportunity to turn in a new direction? So I want you, if you will, If you got your Bible with you, I hope you do. Turn to Luke chapter 23 verses 32 through 33. And then we're going to skip down to verse 39 through 43. That's Luke chapter 23. Verse 32 is the beginning part. And it reads as follows. And there were Also, two others, malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed against him, saying, if thou be Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, dost thou not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, Lord, watch this, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said the words to him that we all want to hear from him. Verily I say to thee, today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. This morning I want to talk to you about the soteriology of a thief. The soteriology of a thief. The soteriology of a thief. There is a saying in religious circles, that true repentance is never late, and late repentance is seldom true. But the passage of scripture that we read for you, selected today, teaches us that we shouldn't get caught up in what's called conventional wisdom when it comes to dealing with Jesus, because Jesus has a way of coming in and turning conventional wisdom upside down. So today, I want to just for a few minutes talk to you about how the cross relates to everybody, to the any man, to the least among us. I want us to understand that at the root of our relationship with Christ is our faith, and not anything else, just our faith. Not your name, not your fame, not your wealth, not where you were born, but it's your faith that draws you into relationship with Jesus Christ. There are some people who believe that because they have a certain amount of book knowledge and because they understand the teachings of some passages of scripture, that they have faith. But I want you to know today, I want you to know today that you can have a lot of book knowledge. You can have a lot of faith. In fact, you can know a lot of scriptures. The devil knows scripture. Some people go to school to learn theology, which is simply the study of the nature of God and religious truth. But there are some lessons that you can learn by living that will give you the same level of knowledge that you get in a formal education. I know I got some witnesses in here who can know, who can understand what I'm saying. I'm sure you'll agree with me that you can learn a lot about your body without studying biology formally. In fact, you can learn a lot about about people without learning, without going to school and studying sociology. You can learn a lot about the stars, ask any farmer, you can learn about the stars and planets and the movement of those bodies. Ask any good farmer if he can tell you about it without going to school and studying astrology. And some people will tell you about the earth, even though they haven't studied geology. But I guarantee you, if you get a good jeweler, he can tell you something about minerals and, and about uh. uh, uh Diamonds without ever having stepped in a classroom. So then, if you can learn theology, biology, sociology, and geology without ever having stepped in a classroom, so then, too, you ought to be able to learn about Jesus without ever having gone, look, watch this now. Not only did you not go to theology school, you can learn about Jesus, and some folk have never gone to church before. Some folk have never sat in anybody's Sunday school class, and yet they can learn about Jesus Christ. There's a term that we're going to use today, and I've already used it in the head of this message. Soteriology comes from two Greek words. Soter, meaning Savior or Deliverer. And then Logos which means the study or the word, matter, the thing. In Christian systematic theology, soteriology is the study of the biblical doctrine of salvation. Now, what are you doing putting a Christian systematic theology term in connection with a thief? Because right there on Golgotha's Hill that, that day, that Friday, a thief got a formal education in salvation simply because, watch this, he was blessed to hang on the right cross at the right time. Now, if you had to be hanging on a cross, if you had to be sentenced to death, if you had to be in a place where you're going to die under those circumstances, I'd say you're blessed among men to be chosen to be on a cross next to Jesus Christ. One wouldn't expect that a thief would be a student of systematic theology, but this passage is a prime example. So in addition to Jesus on the cross, there are two other individuals. The Bible refers to them as malfactors, malcontents. They've gone down in history, not by the name their parents gave them, not by anything worth studying, but they've gone down in history known as thieves. Another version identifies them in terms that are just not the kind of term that you want to take home for your mama to know about you. But it's because of these two men that we learn the power of grace and we also learn the power of salvation. See, the Romans, when they crucified you, they wanted to draw as much attention as they could to the crucifixion because Politically, a crucifixion was a public statement that we're in charge and we don't want you messing around with Rome, and so they would put you at a vantage point to embarrass you more than anything. So the worst criminals were put in the highest profile spots, and that's what they thought about Jesus Christ. After they gave him the unjust trial, when they dragged him down the Via Della Rosa, when they dragged him from the Sanhedrin to Pilate in the mock trial that he had, they were trying to give maximum exposure on who they considered to be an enemy of the state. But behind the scenes, all of this was being manipulated by the Jewish leadership, by the religious leadership. They were manipulating the situation according to my Bible. They were manipulating it. So that Jesus would be crucified, and so here he is, on Golgotha's hill, just as it had been predicted by the prophet. He would be hanged with the malefactors. Two of them are up there on the cross. One of them, it seems, is just a miserable, miserable bad luck. Not good for anybody, man. He's bad to the bone. He's the kind that you might try to help. And who spit in your face for giving you that kind of help? Here he is, he's a few hours away from meeting eternity. And instead of taking the opportunity to try to assess his life and see if there's any redemption found within it, he takes this last opportunity here on earth to talk about somebody else who's in the same situation he's in. In fact. It's obvious he's living the last few minutes of his life the same way he lived the rest of it, and that's wastefully. There are some who just remain hardened to the very end, and we can only pray for those folk. Continue trying to lead them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but the most we can do, the most we can do under those circumstances is pray for them even when those folk are in pain and in in the valley of the shadow of death, they won't humble themselves or be compassionate. And so this one had the nerve to think that he could join in the folk standing at the foot of the cross and talking about Jesus Christ, mocking him, talking about the things that he had done, helping people. Not only did he do it, he mockingly asked Jesus Christ to save him, never believing in the power that Jesus Christ had to actually do so, with no sincerity in what he was saying. But the other thief is different. I, I wish I could draw you, uh, I wish I could open up a DVD on the incident so you could see him there. Some accounts say that he too started out verbally attacking Christ. You know, one of those followers initially who simply goes along to get along. When the other big bad guy starts talking about Jesus, he too starts doing the same thing, but he stops because he's paying attention to Jesus Christ. And therein lies the first change we see in this thief. The first change we know in this man is he turns and he reprimands his friend. Oh yeah, now he is being crucified as a thief. Supposedly, there's no redemption in him, but he pauses in his death march to reprimand one who is being worse than him, who he used to call a friend, and now he sees in another light. So he reprimands him. When he opens his mouth, we realize that there's something changing in this man. Not only did he realize that he was in the same situation, but he saw Jesus Christ completely different. He didn't think he was better than his friend, but apparently he sensed something about this other man, this man in the middle, that wasn't normal. See, see like the prodigal, he came to a place, as it says there, I think it's Luke 15, chapter 15, and verse 16 where it says, and he came to himself. Oh yeah, he got to a place where wrong just wasn't doing no more. Now you might say he waited a long time to come to this place. He could have done it before the last thing he stole or before the last wrong he did. But even if he waited till he was on the cross about to go across this doorway, he still came to himself. Like the tax collectors who were called by Jesus, who have been stealing and robbing from folk. And yet, when he called them and told them to leave their tax booths and follow him, they dropped it and they followed Jesus. They came to themselves and then they made refunds to the people they had taken advantage of. Something's happening to this man Judas. Judas realized too late. We talked about that. Yeah, he's a great deceiver. He realized too late to do anything about it. He could have saved himself with a plea of mercy from the Lord, and instead he kept going. He hadn't found a solid way of life. There's some people listening right now who are still struggling on a solid way of life. Been stuck in a nug- negative way of living. Yeah, you don't think you're better than anybody else, but you know you're better than you're living. There's somebody listening right now who've been struggling just to get on the right path. Can I tell you, you can make the path your own right if you follow the right person. If you're following the wrong person, you're going to keep on getting what you got. You're stuck in a rut. You don't know how to get out of that rut. And I came to tell you that if a thief on the cross about to die can find his way out of the situation that he's in, then that's hope for everybody listening to me right now. The only school this guy had been in was the school of hard knocks. And yet he takes a moment to correct his path while he's there. He reprimands his friend for the conduct he's seen on the cross. Or maybe it was because, in all his seeing around town, he'd never heard Jesus preach before. Maybe he had not heard or seen that he had healed people. Or maybe he had never heard the testimonies of other folk who had been in Jesus' presence. But here he is now in the school of soteriology and salvation is written on the board and he is paying close attention to this man who seems to have something different than other folk have. I- I'm not sure if he knew the words to that song we sing all the time. What is this? But whatever it is, it won't let me Hold my peace, I gotta say something. And so he tells his friend, leave him alone. And then he reviews his own record. Not only does he reprimand his friend, but he reviews his own record. He acknowledged that I'm not worthy. I deserve, we deserve to be up here on this cross. This punishment for our deeds is just. We're getting our reward for our works. But this man, this man, I recognize that the punishment he's getting doesn't seem to fit any crime that he's committed. This man, this thief who's on the cross, is having a crash course in soteriology. He's having a crash course in studying God's Son. He's having a crash course in becoming a believer even if if it's at the last hour he knows that if I'm gonna get this right Anthony I got one last chance before death takes over my whole existence and it looks like this man on the cross next to me is the way I'm going to get this together I don't have time to debate this with my friend over here I need to talk to the one who can make it happen right now and somehow The Spirit of God responded to this man's faith. Watch this now. People always want to make a show of how many times they've gone to church, how many classes they've been in, how many things they've led in the church. The only real thing that heaven responds to is our faith. Come early, come late. It's our faith. This man is the embodiment of the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 scripture that says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift. Watch this now. It's the gift even on the cross on Golgotha's hill. It's the gift of God, and it's not as a result of any works, lest any man should be able to boast. So this man, this malefactor, who just happened to be, be crucified next to the most significant person In existence, Jesus Christ reprimands his friend, reviews his own record, realizes I've come up short. And then he does something that's amazing, Karen. He makes a reasonable request. You realize through faith that this man has got something special. And he turns to Jesus, and they tell us that he's right on point in school. He's going to make an A in this class if he's graded on it. He makes a reasonable request of the Savior that only somebody who really understands God can make. If he didn't understand the theory of salvation, he never asked this question. He joins in a long list of religious outsiders, people who didn't grow up in the temple, people who didn't grow up studying uh, uh, the, 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 the scrolls, who didn't understand all the ins and outs of being in the religious body. But these people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know the folk I'm talking about. How about that Roman centurion who simply stood there and he's watching right now He goes down in history. He's watching Jesus die. He comes in later and says, truly, this must be the Son of God. How about that woman with the alabaster box? I'm not talking about Mary. She was already Jesus' friend. She knew what he could do. But there's another woman in Scripture who uses all her earnings from an alabaster box to bless Jesus and anoint him. What about the woman with the issue of blood? who has suffered long enough. She too went through a crash course in soteriology and she knew if salvation is going to come, it's going to come from this man walking down the street right now. What about Zacchaeus? Willing to throw his whole reputation to the side just so he could find out what must I do to be saved. Look, 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 look. The request was reasonable, y'all. He didn't say, he didn't say, Lord, pick me. He, he didn't say that. That's what this world tells you you ought to do. You ought to always be out front. You ought to always be the number one. Some of the disciples didn't even get that on, in Jesus' last days. They were still sitting next to him saying, Lord, put me on one side and put my brother on the other side. This, is, this theology that they still didn't understand salvation, but a thief on the cross who had never sat at Jesus' feet, who had never been at the mount when Jesus was preaching, This thief on the cross understood salvation in a way that you can teach for decades and centuries to come. This man didn't say, show me Jesus. No, no, Thomas would say that later. He didn't say that. Even in his condition, you would think he would say, rescue me. He didn't say, rescue me already understanding that whatever Jesus Christ was experiencing was going to be a portal through the next kingdom. In other words, don't take me down and put me in the misery I just came out of. Wherever you're going, I want to go too. And so he said to him, just remember me. Remember that at the point in time when you were coming into your kingdom, at the point in time when you were satisfied in heaven, at the point in time when you were leaving this existence to go on and try on the realities of another, just remember that I stood here and if my life never meant anything before, let it matter right now, Jesus. I'm believing in you right now for everything you preached and you taught about. And so not only was he hanging on the cross as a thief, not only did he realize that he wasn't worthy, he also, cross that magic threshold threshold from hearing seeing and believing that each one of us have to cross this thief knew this that death could not diminish the power that jesus christ had couldn't diminish his holiness instead he saw death for jesus as a coronation to his new throne and he saw all that while he was bruised beaten, hanging on a cross in more pain than he'd ever been in just by watching Jesus die next to him. This man who lived wrong, this man who reprimanded his friend, this man who reviewed his own record, this man who not only reviewed his own record, this man made a reasonable request, and can I tell you this? You ought to be shouting, kick your table, your chair away from your table at the kitchen. You ought to know this man received his reward that day. See, 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 Jesus is well pleased with the faith shown by this thief. Because Jesus, even in his own agony, even as he's teaching his disciples, even as he's writing his last will and testament by telling John, I'm bequeathing my mama to you. I need you to take care of him. Even as he's making sure the scriptures are finished by saying, by saying, I thirst. Even if he's making sure that all the prophecies predicted by him, about him are coming through, even while he's making sure that heaven is satisfied, this Jesus, he stops compassionately just long enough to take care of one more dying soul on the way to glory. This Jesus, even in the midst of the crushing misery that he's experiencing, he brings to this thief a ray of hope that has eternal consequences. This thief is somebody that understands, somebody who believes, and that's exactly who Jesus Christ came to save. So Jesus gives him exactly what he always came to give each one of us, and that is an eternal relationship with him. He promises this man something that this man could have never gotten on his own on this side. He promises him peace, and he promises him paradise. He tells him that today, as he steps across Jesus, as Jesus says, as I step across into paradise. You're going to be there with me. Just like this thief. Our reward too is going to be immediate. There can be no doubt that it's not by works. No, 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 no. It's not by relationships. On this side that you'll gain heaven's entry. It's by your faith in Jesus Christ. The passage shows us that it's never too late. Even at the very last instant of your life. You can draw a connection and believe in Jesus Christ. And so it's wonderful, I believe, how the Lord laid out this scene to teach us. This is the same day that the Lord took the sting out of death. We say it all the time. Oh, death, where is that sting? It's the day from all appearances that death should have had the advantage. Jesus was at his weakest moment. Jesus was at the lowest point in his life. They were on Golgotha. Nobody ever walked away from Golgotha alive. They were on Golgotha. Romans had a a whatever to zero record on Golgotha. If they put you there, the only way you left is if they carried you away from there. Death was standing proud. Death knew that he could chalk up another one on his list. Jesus Christ would have been his latest victory. But he didn't realize that he was gonna lose two on Golgotha that day. He didn't realize that not only would he lose Jesus Christ, who had dominion over everything after he satisfied heaven, but he also lost the thief. That was a sure bit. I know I got him. He's lived horribly all his life. That's why you need to stop walking down the street looking at folk, wondering if they are gonna be in heaven. You need to be concerned about yourself. It's only between us and Jesus Christ as to whether or not we have faith enough to live eternally with him. You're going to be walking down the streets of glory, and some say, I'm going to look over there and be shocked when I see certain folk, and guess what? They're going to be shocked if they see you there. You need to know, death didn't realize that day that God had planned the outcome of the match. God was already so many more moves ahead of death didn't realize that Jesus Christ paid the price that was required by heaven. Jesus was a star from the beginning of the earth. Jesus was a star even after death had lost his final marriage. Death has been losing ever since Jesus came out of that grave. Oh, he died that Friday. Make no mistakes about it. Don't let anybody run around here and tell you that he didn't die. He died. He had to die. The scripture said he had to, to die to satisfy heaven. But in so dying, he did exactly what Jesus, I mean, what the Lord required of him. And that's what scripture says. He gave his life for our sins. For it pleased the Lord for him to do so. My question to you today is, do you believe? The thief on the cross believes. Watch this. If you've never expressed a saving faith, in Jesus Christ. I now extend an invitation for you simply, wherever you are, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, to make that acknowledgement. I simply ask you to pray exactly what this thief did. Pray a sinner's prayer. Review your own record, and see in reviewing your own record, if you too come up short. Review your own record, and see in reviewing your own record, if you need someone to be your life manager. I suggest strongly that you do. You need someone who can lead you from here to glory and who knows the way. I strongly suggest to you that you try Jesus. He's the only one qualified to be our all-sufficient Savior. Are you on his team? He's pulling everybody in. Don't think it's just the, the wealthy folk. Don't think it's anybody who the earth would choose, who the world would choose. He's pulling thieves and beggars. He's pulling people who've been poor all their lives and giving them paradise. Whatever situation you find yourself in, he, in fact, will bless you, and he'll bring you. It's not too late. It wasn't too late for the thief, and it's not too late for you. Pray with me, Father, we bless your name. And there's someone here, Lord, who recognizes that he is a, she is a sinner. My prayer, Lord, is that you will bless them Guide them, grant them the same satisfaction and joy that that thief experienced on their cross. Validate that faith, Lord. Let them know that this day, too, they will be in paradise with you. God, we love you. Lord, we adore you. It's in the holy name of Jesus Christ we now pray. Amen. Well, God bless you today. I'm so thankful, so thankful that you were able to stay and share in a word with us, the thief guy. The question is, do you? Watch this. Today is the first Sunday and Jesus Christ was so much in love with us that he gave us something to remember him by. I always call it a holy forget-me-not. And this holy forget-me-not Is what you and I call the Lord's Supper. And every time we celebrate this holy, forget me not, we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of the theology that people talk about when it comes to whether or not you have to physically be with me in order to celebrate it. The Bible says pretty clearly, as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. I can't imagine that some of the things that go on in our world today could have even been contemplated by those folk in the Bible. I can't imagine that Jesus Christ wouldn't want me to reach out to you and commune with you in whatever way we can. And today, today I'm doing that, using the technology we have to let you know that he loves you. So I hope you've already gone, I hope you've already gone into your, cl- your cabinet and gotten down some crackers or a cracker, <laughs> I hope you've gotten a little container with some juice in it. I want to read this scripture for you. We're still in Luke. We were in 23 for the message. But in chapter 22, Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. Watch this. Luke writes this. And when the hour was come, and he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him, and he said unto them with desire, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this, this is my body. It's given for you this due in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. I love the fact, that Jesus Christ in his simplicity did not make the elements so complicated that we couldn't find them anywhere. He didn't make them such that you had to climb the mountain in the Andes. He didn't make it such that you could only find wheat from a certain field in Egypt. He didn't make it complicated such that the juice had to be nectar from a fruit found on top of a mountain on some distant land. He didn't make it complicated like that. He made it simple. He simply called it bread, and he simply called it juice. The symbolism that he gave us is so very important. What's more important than the bread, what's more important than the juice... Is the blood. His blood that he gave, that he shed on Calvary, is the most important thing. We ask the question often here, what can wash away my sin? And the answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so now I ask you, if you have it, if you would, to take the bread that you have. And remember Jesus giving his blood, His body for us. I ask you now, if you have it, and if you're a believer, to now eat it. Likewise the juice. Come on now.
0: Day, today it will never lose all its power. It's soon, my dad. It'll come on my feet. It will. me straight
1: It's power. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Amen, amen. I'm so glad you came and celebrated with us today. Thank you for coming to the Cyber Sanctuary of 45th Street Baptist Church. It's been so good to be with you today. Watch this. Don't let this week catch you without Jesus. Don't try to go through this week on your own. In fact, go ahead right now and ask Him. One of those prevenient prayers. Say, Lord, go before me this week. Bless me as we go along. Keep us free and safe from all hurt, harm, and danger. We love you, Lord. Call and check on somebody. Practice social distancing in person, but pray for folks mightily. It's in Jesus' name that we've come to you. Amen. Through Christ. Through Christ we, we are the friendliest, friendliest church. Thomas. Come on. From the, From the parking, parking lot to, to the pulpit,
0: pulpit, hey. pulpit, through Christ we, we are the friendliest church. We
1: are so far. From mm-hmm. the parking lot to the pulpit, pulpit, yes. pulpit,
0: pulpit. pulpit. Bless, blessed Bless with God's authority, and we strive to be the friendliest church. Hey. Everywhere we go, Everywhere we go, people, people want to wanna know. People wanna know. We choose to be friendliest church. Come on, do it one more time. All over the world. Through Christ we are the friendliest Friendliest church. From from the the parking lot to the pulpit, pulpit, pulpit. Through Christ we are the friendliest friendliest church. Uh, From the parking lot to the pulpit, pulpit, pulpit. Blessed with God's authority, we try to be friendliest. Everywhere we, go. Everywhere we go, people, people want to know through Christ people we wanna can't do anything, so we choose to be the friendliest, friendliest church. church. We are, we are the friendliest church from the, the parking lot to the
1: pulpit. And now unto him who's able to keep us from falling, and who will present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Father, be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever if you love him say amen god bless you see you next time